0: Back then, when you first did that rotation, what was your day in the life like? What was your role like um, as a band six?
1: Um, So, I mean, in that rotation, I would cover, it would be split between, I'd be on the wards, which was right next to the HIV outpatient department. I just walk onto it, um, cover the wards in the morning. And that would be a mix of HIV patients, infectious diseases, TB, and uh, I'd also do a bit of antimicrobial work as well. So I'd um, go on ward rounds, um, micro ward rounds and review all of kind of the meropenem prescriptions, Tazacin, that kind of thing. Um, and then the HIV outpatient department was myself. um the AA HIV pharmacist at the time and a technician. Um, and we would dispense all the medicines there. Um, and it was sexual health and HIV, but it was, it was a very small center, but it meant, you know, you were so you were working so closely with the consultants, with the practice nurses, um, and um, the patients you just had such a rapport with them they knew they knew us they knew um i mean i i, I was quite new so they didn't know me but they knew the pharmacist and the technician um, and yeah it was all um confidential because um, there was no other outpatients in that area as purely purely hiv um, and i learned so much about counseling, you know, how to have, um, kind of, I would say like difficult conversations with patients, um, because you're counseling a patient at the same time that they've got a new diagnosis of HIV. So, you know, you're balancing, okay, I know I need to give them all this information about the drugs but actually, like their mindset isn't going to be; they're not going to be in a place to absorb a lot of what you're saying. So you kind of have to think, okay, what is the main key points I need to get across here, and what do they need at this point? Because um, as you know, they they ask the pharmacist questions they don't want to ask the doctor beforehand often, um, and one of the things. I think helped me by quite a bit was, um, Nina Barnett, um, one of the pharmacists, uh, consultant pharmacists gave, uh, like a two day course on health coaching techniques. Um, and that really helped me because, um, it kind of taught me, you know, how do you communicate with patients and actually, um, not solve, but kind of like, how do I say, how do you really find out what their needs are um, rather than going through and just listing, okay, side effects, how to take it, food requirements, what are their needs? Um, and also with the adherence side of things, it was like, okay, well, I can suggest to them to do a Dosset box. I can suggest to like do an app on their phone which will help remind them but actually what is the patient gonna what what suits the patient and flipping it and getting empowering the patient to think of like their own ideas for how to support themselves with adherence um uh and empowering them to like take control of their health really um which is really challenging
0: mm-hmm. and something that we're not trained to do as pharmacists or no. pharmacy students mm-hmm. because a lot of the time when we're studying undergraduate level and even postgrad level we're taught to provide information and communicate fact mm-hmm. of course we we learn how to build rapport and we're told that that's really valuable Um, but the ins and outs of how to do that in quite a sensitive situation is, is really a skill Mm -hmm. and health coaching is amazing because you're providing questions or identifying information for, from them, but they're the ones coming up with the ideas as to how they can implement and make their lives better and healthier Mm -hmm. and how they can manage this condition long-term because at the end of the day, they, they have to have that motivation and that self-motivation and drive to be a better version of themselves. So that's amazing. So um, do you know how... It's Nina, do you say? Yeah. That? How she kind of got involved with that?
1: Um, I don't know, to be honest. Um, I know she's kind of... Um quite well known for kind of going round and um, kind of teaching these techniques. Because when I went to Chelsea, um, she was brought in again, um, which I thought, yeah, it was really valuable because then, mm. you know, the next team was learning. Um, but she, she might be quite a good one to get on. Yeah, <laughs> on
0: that's a good podcast. idea, right? Yeah. Um, no, but it's it's really interesting because it's a side of pharmacy that is, you know, not known for all specialty areas. It's not that you know, you're know you empowering patients to that same respect in, in all specialties, nor do pharmacists have time in clinics to be, I guess, helping patients from mm. that perspective. But a lot of what you said resonates with me well because with palliative care, again, it's a very sensitive area in terms of information giving and you've got a paediatric patient who' potentially just been born, mm. and the parents identify that their child is not going to survive, and they didn't know. Some parents may know during the pregnancy that this is the case. Mm. doesn't make it any easier. But if you're unaware that this is the situation you're going to be faced with, you've literally just given birth and you're going through your own emotions, um your own physical changes. Um, fatigue and, and all the rest of it. And then on top of that, you have to deal with the diagnosis, which is literally life-changing in the same respect as someone identifying yeah. they've got HIV. Yeah, And then you've got 25 drugs and two massive shopping bags of medications that they have to learn how to use. They have to learn how to administer to a baby. They have to know what the drugs are for, what the side effects are, like you said, um, and being able to do things from buccal administration, oral administration, subcut injections, you know, identifying symptoms which relate to palliative care, whether it's shortness of breath or, you know, constipation. And some a lot of the symptoms are similar to a newborn in general as well. So it's quite difficult to differentiate what's what's from what. It's interesting that you obviously have that similar experience with adults. And when we counsel patients on discharge, I usually put aside about three hours of time. Mm. I might be going on to the pediatric ICU. I ask both parents to join if both parents are available and make the time to have two people listening to me. So more information is being taken in. Mm. Um, And then I usually try and go back a second time because I know that the amount of information that I've provided, maybe 10 to 15 percent is probably absorbed. Yeah. Um, We print out a word document for the symptom management plan and the consultants document what the symptoms look like for that child specifically. So it's very individualized. Um, so everything is in writing, but when I started the job and because palliative care for peds at Evelina is relatively new, we haven't had anyone in that role. So from my perspective, I felt this is overwhelming for a family to have a 10 page word document. What yeah. can we do to improve the service? Cause right now I feel like the amount of information I'm giving what they're taking in is limited. And then the nurses and the consultants end up receiving lots of calls um, from an on-call perspective, Mm. which are all medication related. So how can we reduce that burden, but also empower the family at the same time and get them to feel more comfortable with the diagnosis as well as Mm -hmm. the symptoms that they potentially may see? So from my perspective, I started thinking about how can we change the symptom management plan because it's literally seven to 10 pages on word of just pure words. Sometimes it's difficult to differentiate the drug information versus the paragraphs that describe that symptom. Um, so when I started the job, I suggested that we split into two documents. So the drugs are all like in a table, similar to what you would give to a renal transplant Mm -hmm. patient where everything's kind of drug names, the doses. For us in peds, we would put everything into mills, so they know, and and the syringe size that they would use, um, the route of administration, how many times a day they can use it. Um, You know, if you're dealing with seizures, for example, and you're using midazolam, like how many minutes after the first dose can you give a second dose? We're providing that information and then kind of any additional bits and bobs. Um, And then in terms of the symptoms, um, we've split them into kind of leaflets, um, PDF leaflets. So that was just kind of the starting um, idea. And we actually, all the patients who are at home who are defined as palliative care patients, but potentially could be living, you know, weeks to months to years in the community, but we still support them. Those parents have now got that version of the SMP, as we call it, um, and they're trialing it and they had to fill in a survey to let us know which one they prefer. So though I'm on maternity leave, this is (laughs) what's been happening in the background. But even that I think is a basic step in the right direction however still not good enough so I wanted to ask GSDT charity for some funding to create some videos because mm-hmm. at the end of the day if you're in a situation where your child is struggling to breathe but you're not really sure what that could be you've got maybe a grandma at home or someone else with you that someone could quickly open up that video and you're given a one to two minute video on how to administer the drug or what the symptoms going to be like, because reading a paragraph would be really stressful in that moment. Yeah, And you've been given this information during a counseling session, but Hey, that could have been two weeks ago and the child has been stable, but now deteriorating. So you've completely forgotten. So reading through that information can be quite challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's interesting to see how, similar things are happening in in other specialty areas do you have any like good examples of stories of patients where you've made some like not interventions but um i guess using your health coaching um skills and kind of empowering a patient to kind of make a decision on their own um maybe you
1: can think of one putting me on the spot here sorry (laughs) sorry (laughs) no no it's good Um, yeah, I mean, this, yeah, how many patients have I spoken to in the last four, four years? Um, let me think. Um, I mean, it could be just, um, like this, the simplest of things. So, um, like with our HIV medicines, we can be quite strict in that we'll say you need to take this tablet every day on the dot, no missed doses, otherwise you're gonna get resistance, we're not gonna be able to use the drugs, you know, you're gonna have to take multiple tablets multiple times a day, um, which scares patients a little bit. Um, And so, you know, putting the question back to them and say, you know, talk to me, how do you take your medicines? How do you remember how to take them? Um, rather than telling them how they do it, just get them to speak it back to you. And the amount of times, you know, the patient will say, yeah, I take it 9am every morning and um, I've only missed it. I've only delayed it by 20 minutes in like, I don't know, the last two years. And I'm like, you don't have to do that. Well, you know, we're not that strict um, and just educating them um, and easing that anxiety um, and then they're not worrying so much that they've missed it by twenty minutes, you know um which um that that small bit of information um you know can change that that person's the whole day because they're you know revolving, taking that tablet um around a certain time in the day or you know everything's fixated on taking that tablet on time but actually you can fit that in with other stuff and you know with breakfast or whatever if breakfast is at 9 10 11 doesn't really matter um and that will mean that they're not kind of thinking so much about the medication which is a reminder for a lot of people around the condition um, you know, which brings a lot of stigma as well, so to kind of yeah, put it into their daily practice rather than focusing so much putting so much pressure onto it, um I think has made quite a big difference
0: yeah i mean i'm I'm sure it can be it's it's really daunting, and there's a lot of pressure. Mm. around medications, because if you don't take them, the numbers show you that you've not taken them. Yeah, The feedback is there yeah. <laughs> and it must be horrible for, for them to come into clinic, have a blood test and they, they get that feedback and they feel, they probably feel guilty and mm. disappointed with themselves. And then that guilt and disappointment can cycle into a, a depressive state even, yeah. you know, I'm not doing good enough and I'm not looking after myself and you know, I guess you have to try and help them to become more positive about taking medications and Mm. that whole counseling and that conversation that you have is, is extremely valuable to their care, which is why you probably feel so rewarded by seeing people really taking care of themselves in a different way. And, Mm. um, yeah, I can imagine it's, it's it's a really enjoyable job, though challenging. Yeah. Um, the reward that you get and the feedback that you get from patients and you really get to know them. This is the one thing I said in terms of once I did all my rotations and what I was enjoying, like you, I loved everything and I just wanted to do everything. Mm. But that's not possible. Um, and even as going into the band seven route, I was like, I just don't know what to do. But I was quite fortunate that I met my husband and I moved to Dubai, so I didn't have to make those decisions. Um, But I'm not sure what I would have done at that point because I genuinely loved a lot. Mm. But what I do know about myself is that I love the educational side of pharmacy and counselling and even now in peds. I love a parent and it's because I am a parent. It makes it completely different in terms of building that rapport and truly understanding what they're going through because... You're you're now part of a family. You're part of a unit where you get their experience and what's challenging in terms of time and routine and getting kids to school and whatever else comes with parenting. But I knew that I wanted to be in an environment where it was a long-term condition, which you got to know the family or the patient themselves and you help them long-term. Because at the end of the day, like building that relationship for me is the be all end all for me like I absolutely thrive in the environment where I get to know someone and it's just part of my personality that I enjoy talking to people I mean I've set up a podcast and I'm enjoying conversation we've never met before (laughs) and you know we're you know we're, we're here yeah um so clearly like I know that's my passion and finding that aspect in pharmacy has been really important to me um so palliative care is is part of that like you're with you may be with a patient at end of life and it happens in the hospital but a lot of our patients stay alive for potentially years so you're supporting that family through every aspect of their care from home and it's really valuable and that must be similar to what you go through on a day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. and you look forward to seeing some of your patients and and seeing their progress and what changes have you made or how has your routine altered where you're getting better at You know, taking your medicines and your adherence has improved. The numbers show it, and it's really a positive experience for them to come into clinic and see. Okay, yeah, this. You know, I'm doing better, and I can do this. Um, So that kind of positivity is 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 really valuable. So I guess in that role, you were going to clinics, you were covering ward rounds. Um, What was it like as a band six, um, working with consultants? Because when you have limited experience and you're kind of young and and new to pharmacy, it can be quite daunting Mm. to work with a consultant um, and be quizzed by them on ward rounds or what do you think about this? Or, you know, how can pharmacy support? Sometimes that can be quite scary in the beginning, but it's enjoyable from the perspective that, you know, that your team is valued. So, um, you know, even if you don't know the answer then and there on the ward round, you know, you can go back and find it. Um, but what was your experience like from an MDT point of view back then?
1: I think I was quite lucky in that I'd just done a rotation in acute medicine and one of the ID consultants was split acute medicine and ID. So I already knew one of them and there was only maybe three or four HIV consultants. And. Um, And the relationship between pharmacy and the consultants in HIV had already been established before I was there. They were very pro-pharmacy. They relied on us a lot for information. Um, But then I guess there was quite a lot of pressure because I was new to the HIV field and they're asking me all these questions. Um, And I think one of the things um, doctors can... Um, identify quite quickly is when you do and don't know the answer. Um, And they don't like blagging the answer. If you blag the answer either, you can't get away with it. Um, And yeah, not knowing the answer, to be honest, I I didn't struggle too much with that because I think from like the on calls, um, I switched my mind frame from like being really anxious about a doctor or a nurse asking me a question to actually, by the end of it, I thrived. And I was like, yes, ask me questions. Like it challenges me. It makes me think I want to learn more. So I wasn't kind of phased at that point too much by um, questions being asked at me. But I think in that environment at Ealing, it was a, a lovely environment Um, and we were very needed. What was quite different was when I went to Chelsea and Westminster for HIV and, um, West, it looks after like over 10,000 HIV patients. It's the biggest HIV unit in the whole of Europe. So, you know, I knew I really wanted to work there because of that, but, um, On the other side, you've got the biggest names in HIV working there and they don't need pharmacy or they don't think they need pharmacy and there's a lot of egos and stuff. So I went from this lovely family feel pro-pharmacy environment to, you know, not really needed, just, you know, get on, do the job kind of thing. Um, So that I found very difficult. Um, and yeah, that's kind of, yeah, the big teaching London hospital vibe that I didn't like (laughs) because you, there's pros and cons of like the district generals and the big teaching hospitals. Um, and, um, you know, you, you learn a lot at both and I think depending on the type of person you are you know, you you come across stuff you don't know and it's up to you whether you want to go away, look it up. And teaching hospitals, you probably have a little bit more information giving it to you freely accessible. Whereas at the district general hospitals, um, you haven't really got the hierarchy as much. And so you get given more stuff or more responsibility. So, you know, from like early on days, you know, okay, you can write that DTC application, you can do a ward round by yourself, you can, you know, supervise students, pre whoever. It wasn't like, oh, you can't do that until you're a band seven, or you can't do that until you're an 8A, um, which was great. Um, but yeah, on the other hand, Chelsea, I, I did learn so much because I was learning from the experts in the field, and I, I think um, that is where, you know, all of my kind of ingrained HIV knowledge came from there. So I'm I'm very grateful for that experience, um, but yeah, it was a start, uh, quite a big contrast to what I was used to.